0: Coming right up, Straight Talk with Art Levine. Our guests tonight, actor D.D. Rescher and singer Leslie Gore, all on Straight Talk tonight. Opinions expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect the views of Charter Communications nor its sponsors. We recognize our obligation to present opposing points of view by responsible spokespersons. For information, please contact the director of program.
1: She stands in the face of
0: evil and will not
1: lose hope or faith. America, the land of freedom, is still the home.
0: Art Levine. Good evening and welcome to Straight Talk. We have a fantastic show tonight with two real stars, actor uh, Didi Rescher and later in the show, the incomparable Leslie Gore. Yes, Leslie, it's my party, Gore. But in studio tonight, we're joined again by Deedee Dee Rescher. Dee, Dee, welcome back to Straight Talk. Thanks, Art. It's great to be here. Dee, Dee comes from a distinguished acting family. Her grandfather was the incomparable Otto Krueger, pictured here. And your mom?
2: Ottilie Kruger, Krueger, Broadway actress. And your... My dad, a cinematographer, three-time Emmy Award, Gene Rescher.
0: So you came out, as you said, kicking and tap, tap dancing. dancing. You knew you were going <laughs> to be an actor. Never a question. And look at this shot with the famous actress Nina Foch. And here, my absolute favorite... So these people were in your household when you were growing up. And look at this. Dee Dee as a 14-year-old with our idol, Paul Newman. What a thrill. Uncle Paul. He really was to you. Yeah,
2: yeah. He used to come over to the house. It it was
0: mayhem in the neighborhood. (laughs) Well, with that background, what I thought would be most interesting to you guys tonight is Acting 101, Theater 101. To me, it's always magic the way a show comes together. Now D.D. Dee Dee has extensive resume credits in film, also in television and commercials, but we're going to focus tonight on the theater, the live theater. That's your favorite. It is my favorite. And so how does this magic begin? We go to the show and it's there, but it all starts with selecting a property.
2: Well, it, you know, it, it is magic, but there's a, a process in order to get to the magic and the process is uh, pretty lengthy and sometimes grueling. Uh, Basically, the artistic director is the one who starts everything, and he has to choose a director, he has to choose a play, he has to get the rights for it, he has to choose a technical director, a costume designer, a lighting, sound, a team, a casting director. The casting director goes through hundreds and thousands of photographs and picks out the right people to audition. The audition process happens, which is also grueling, and if you're lucky, you'll get three callbacks. And at that point, you sit by the phone biting your fingernails, hoping it's the phone's going to ring. And then they call and they say, hey, you got the job. And then you rejoice. And then you wonder how you're going to spend the
0: next two months living on $300 a week.
2: But it's not about the money. It's It's not.
0: Actors have to act. And I know here we have some local theaters where they get paid nothing. And yet, there are twenty auditions for a part that's going to pay nothing. Yeah, they have to drive down from L.A. on their own gas to get the part, maybe that pays nothing. Of course, I wouldn't know anything. No, no, that's not your (laughs) field. Okay, so the the artistic director chooses a play and then casts it. And then the group that was chosen, many applied, fewer chosen, yes. they come together for the first time and they start to read the script. Yes, it's called the table read. The table read. The
2: table read. And this is when everybody meets everybody. Uh, if it's equity show, the equity representative is there and does a long, droll, you know, <sighs> tome about how you have to uh, stick by the rules, which nobody ever does. And, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> And, and then you read the script, and pretty much at that point, everybody kind of gets an idea of exactly how everything's going to go. Maybe this one actor is a little bit weak and will need more direction than the other. Maybe this other actor is full of himself, and uh, we're going to have to pull s- him back and But you're sitting around a table You're sitting around a table reading a script, and everybody's emoting and laughing, and it's all wonderful. As a matter of fact, the table read is probably the last time any of the actors will hear great, uproarious laughter until opening night. Because right after that, the rehearsal process begins.
0: And how does that work?
2: Well, that usually takes place uh, on a rehearsal, in a rehearsal hall. Sometimes it takes place on the stage, but mostly a rehearsal hall. And the stage manager has laid out the dimensions of where this door is and where this stairway is. The set is. isn't built yet. Nothing is built yet. It's all in tape on the floor. So the first couple of days, all the actors are running around, you know, walking through walls and bumping into doors and...
0: Uh, And they're walking around with their scripts. With their
2: scripts in their hands. As they're reading their lines. And the director is trying to
0: stage it or block it.
2: Um, So for the first week, it's pretty much a mess and and, uh, pretty comical. And then after that, things start to calm down and everybody gets the lay of the land and and things start to come together. But it's not until what they call Hell Week, which is the technical week. when Which is normally week four. Which is week four. Normally week four. Now we're talking about smaller productions. Broadway. Takes uh, longer. Yeah. F- 1,500 seat house, this, that orchestras. That's a whole different thing. Okay. The, you know, you, you get a lot more time with
0: that. Okay, so three weeks of walking around with tape on the floor and reading. The director's and the director
2: everybody off book. And, and then and you, book. off
0: the book means you drop it and you're supposed to have memorized it by yes. that time. And then week four, you've memorized it and now it's the tech with the lighting, the sound, and maybe the set's built by now. The set is built, and suddenly it's all
2: very They're strange. They're real doors. They're real doors. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very often seen going into the bathroom when I'm supposed to be going into the <laughs> kitchen. But it's just the way it works. And there's also, you know, there's the fact that there's usually a lot of costume changes, yeah. um, which are all very insane. Once, once you start plugging the costumes into it, uh, I don't have time, you're screaming backstage. I can't get the wig on. The fat suit won't go up. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I mean, it's really, literally, there are some shows when I've had to go from being a svelte blonde to being a hugely fat
0: woman with rollers in wow. less,
2: less than 30 seconds.
0: So it's magic back there. Oh, it's, oh, and it's, it's hysterical.
2: Bedlam. It's yeah. very funny. And, you know, you've got dressers, you've got assistant stage managers, and you just stand there where they say right foot, left foot. People are pulling things up. People are ripping your wigs off and putting them on.
0: <laughs> and then suddenly it's preview time and then opening night, which we will talk about as soon as we come back. Stay with us.
2: Electricity is different from any other product we use. We can't store it. We must use it wisely, but can't do without it completely. And there's no substitute for this special form of energy that brings us light, comfort, and progress. That's why California needs new standards that can keep utilities strong, guard against another power crisis, and
1: protect consumers from the kind of shortages that often affect other commodities. Because electricity is different. Getting kids to care about economics is easier than you think. You just need to find a connection. Like how the Port of Long Beach supports one in eight jobs in our city alone. And how the Port's commitment to going green is creating even more new jobs. So the Port of Long Beach, cool. My no texting in class policy, not so cool. The Port of Long Beach, investing in jobs, investing in you.
0: We're back with the incomparable D.D. Rusher talking about show business. So it's opening night, and all these efforts hopefully will pay off, and there's a certain a- anxiousness and excitement. Opening night
2: is when the magic starts. You know, it's pretty funny because you go to the theater, and you look on the stage, and everybody makes... If you're a good actor under the influence of a good director... All the actors make it look effortless. And at this point, everybody's had no sleep. Everybody's been anxious and crazy. There are last minute changes. We're still working out the problems. But it's opening night. And there's something about opening night that truly is when the
0: magic happens. And it never gets old, no matter how many shows you've opened. Not for me.
2: I, I love it. I mean, it's what the actors are in their dressing rooms. Uh, everybody's got a monitor. You can hear the buzzing of a Full House audience come in. You know that all the critics are there and everybody's dressed up and made an effort and fought traffic and they've paid for these tickets. And you better be Well, to me, it
0: really is magic because I know you. uh, I first met you when you were here uh, doing an ICT production, which I went to see, and I noticed you never looked. I was sitting up near the front. You never looked at me. You create... That wall. Yeah, it's, it's that willful
2: suspension of disbelief. It's, it's wonderful. It, it's uh, one of the things that happens just before you go on stage, and it, it's one of those lines that actors say to each other, besides break a leg and give them hell and all that. Just before places have been called, the, the lights are coming down, and every actor looks at each other and says, see you on the other side. The other side. The other side, which I love because we all know that What does that mean? The next two hours we're going to be going to a world that exists only for us.
3: Yes. And
2: and it's the willful suspension of disbelief, living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Yes. And we're all gonna plunge into it and we won't see each other again really until curtain call and that's like avatar, you go into this world. (laughs)
0: And then you come out of the world.
2: Yeah, it, it's wow. really quite amazing. Yeah. And it's funny with, with openings, you know, the audience is usually just as on fire as the actors. Yeah. And for some inexplicable reason, every bit that didn't work all throughout rehearsal is suddenly getting uproarious glorious laughter. And, and uh, the moments when you, you couldn't get that emotion, they're suddenly there and people are crying and all, all of the emotions that you wanted to elicit are
0: happening. And you need the audience to make this work. Oh, it, totally. Uh, without an audience, it's not a performance, it's a rehearsal. And the audience gives you everything you've been working for is to get that reaction. It's so lovely. There are so times- So we in the audience have a lot of control and power.
2: Total power. Wow. wow. You have no idea how wow. much power I are really, you have.
0: Wow. <laughs> we
2: Whoa. should pay you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but it's show business. It's magic.
2: It it is after a lot of hard work.
0: And it's intoxicating.
2: It's it is and and the beauty of, of it is when you stand there at, at your final curtain call which is kind of the the ultimate wow, it sounds
0: gift. ominous the final, the curtain, final call. curtain call. Um we'll meet again, <laughs> Don't know where. The, You're such a romantic. <laughs> um. <laughs>
2: Anyway, that's kind of the gift. That's when the actor stands there and says, aha,
0: this is why I'm doing this. And one of the reasons you like theater even more than movies and TV, which you've both done extensively, is that you can develop the role during the course of the run of the show.
2: After opening night, that's when it, things really start to come together. It's, it's terrible, but I, I really don't think I'm very good in a play until about
0: week three. So the shows get better. <laughs> <laughs> See her in week I, three. I that do. Is, I tell all my don't friends, go opening don't night.
2: come until the third week. But
0: the show tightens and gets better as people...
2: Yes, and it and it gets better, it, it tightens, and it changes every night, and that's the beauty of it. I mean, I love doing television, and I love doing film. Don't get me wrong. Pays there, the
0: Pays the bills. Oh, it's
2: marvelous. But I get to do this show again tomorrow night, and again the night after. And each time I do, you I can. get to go a little deeper into that character. And find out a little bit more. And it's never the same. It never gets old.
0: And there's something about doing it in front of a live audience, as we discussed, versus a film crew. It makes it a
2: new night every night. You know, sometimes you don't know an audience is out there. They're so silent. But you have to trust yourself that they're engaged.
0: And there are audiences have different personalities, don't they? Yes. Some are a little flatter than others. (laughs) I'm sure you bring most of your audiences alive. Ah, you flatter me. (laughs) Well, we are going to uh, uh, do a remote interview in the next segment, and then Didi will be back at the end of the show, but you're about to see a legend in the musical world, Leslie Gore, who recorded It's My Party at the age of 16, number one song in America. You won't want to miss this. (laughs) ¶¶ I'm standing in front of the historic Plaza Theater, home of the fabulous Palm Springs Follies. The Follies are celebrating their 20th anniversary year. I love the Follies. I go almost every year. We're here to interview the legendary Leslie Gore. The show's about to begin, so let's go inside.
3: Nobody knows where my Johnny is going. Judy left the same time. Oh, I was he?
0: Leslie Gore has earned two gold records, been nominated for two Grammys, and received an Academy Award nomination for co-writing the hit Out Here On My Own from the motion picture fame. We sat down with her immediately following her recent Follies performance. I asked her how at the age of only 16 she came to have a number one record and how It's My Party became the anthem for a generation of teenage girls.
3: Uh, I was so interested in singing that uh, I found myself a vocal teacher in New York City and I I would go in every Thursday from New Jersey and I would take my vocal lesson and uh, one day my vocal coach said, Leslie, we're going to do something a little different today. Instead of having a lesson, we're going to go into a little studio and you're going to record some piano voice demos. And we did. It was wonderful. And I, I left the studio that afternoon with little demos under my arm and it was terrific. My cousin, Howie, who was a fight promoter, was seeing an agent by the name of Joe Glazer two days later because he managed a welterweight fighter by the name of Emil Griffith. And he gave my demos to Joe Glazer, who was head of ABC Booking. Joe Glazer was quite a prominent agent at the time. He called Irving Green, who was president of Mercury Records, and said, Irving, I got a great kid singer here, if you could use her. He sent, the, he sent the demo over to Irving Green. Irving Green put it on Quincy Jones' desk. Quincy Jones called me up, asked me if I'd like to record with him. It felt kind of wonderful because the perks were incredible. Suddenly, there was no, nobody could do enough for me. Uh, there were lots of wonderful... I was no longer a visitor anywhere. I was a guest everywhere. So when a disc jockey said, uh, Leslie Gore from Tenafly... All of a sudden, kids would get in a car and come to Tenafly. It wasn't very difficult <laughs> when you came to Tenafly to ask, where does Leslie Gore live? Oh, she lives up on the hill, I think it's 42 or 41. You have people going by constantly. They were. We would wake up in the morning, they'd be camping on the front lawn. It was a, a very, very different time. At 16, uh, I may have been a kid, and I might not have known a whole lot, but I did sense that this was a very fickle business. Uh, That was pretty easy to figure out. I suddenly had friends I never knew before and relatives popping up. So (laughs) I realized that it was suddenly a very different world, and I also understood if I didn't finish school then, I probably wouldn't. So I had made that choice really very early on, and I was very grateful for it when it happened. (laughs)
0: Thor headlined the celebrated 1964 concert film, The Tammy Show, which was considered one of the best rock and roll movies ever made. It also featured such stars as James Brown, Chuck Berry, the Rolling Stones, and the Supremes. So I asked her what her recollections were of that experience.
3: That just got released this year for the first time to the public uh, and it, uh, it, it's sell- selling like crazy. It was a wonderful event. Uh, in fact, some of the people that I met on that show, I met really for the first time in show business and it was quite a learning experience for me. I managed to find myself a spot uh, in the wings and just watch some of the greatest performers uh, in the world on that stage.
0: Her fans are loyal. You see them waiting after the show to meet her and have their photos taken. She told me why she thinks her fan base is still so strong nearly 50 years later.
3: Well, it's the music that we share. There's something about this music that you hear when you're 15 to 18. It somehow just sticks with you. It's like Velcro. Yeah. Uh, I know my parents grew up to the big bands. That's what they love the most. We grew up to this. This is somehow what we cling to. Uh, and it, uh, it, it's, it's proven that this is the music we're always going to relate to. So there's something, whenever I speak to somebody out of this audience they can tell me where they were the first time they heard it's my party it's like knowing it's it's, it's like knowing when you met your best friend uh, it's such a wonderful bond among people and, uh, and and i share that with so many people it's a it's a, a very you joyous don't wonderful experience own me. don't try to change me any way. you don't own me don't turn me down Her hit, You Don't
0: Own Me, was hailed as the first proto-feminist anthem of the 60s. She told me how the song came about.
3: You know, interestingly enough, when I first heard that song, I didn't think of it as a song that women should sing to guys. I thought of it as a song that anyone could sing to another significant other. So I could easily see a guy singing that to a girl. Uh, So I thought of it more as a humanist song. Then, as the song developed and some of the women's groups started uh, adopting adopting it for their causes...
0: But the song itself... Is is neutral in a sense.
3: It it, it it, is. A girl or a guy could sing it. I feel as though I was tremendously lucky to have been the one who found it and uh, created that song because I I think it's a little bit more of an important song than It's My Party. What did you get, if
0: I could use the word chutzpah, to get out there in front of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people uh, and and do it? Where do you find that?
3: Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson said one thing that I read at a very young age. And it's pretty much my philosophy of life. If you're afraid, do it. And that's really been my philosophy through life. If I'm scared of something, I need to face it and do it, so I'm not scared of it.
0: Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. We ended our conversation by talking about The Follies, both as a production and its amazing cast.
3: I have worked everywhere. I've I've worked for lots of different producers, and I have to say that uh, I actually call uh, Mr. Markowitz Mr. Remarkowitz, because I think he does an incredible job putting a show together um i have i actually have never been presented as beautifully as he does and as graciously and it's one of the reasons i love being here as well as this cast and crew and and the whole production people they're just wonderful people and they've made me feel wonderful just to be here so it's a great experience
0: so that wraps up our interview with leslie gore and quick visit to the follies their season runs till may 15th pay him a visit i know you'll enjoy the show We'll be back with the rest of Straight Talk after these messages.
1: Welcome to McKenna's on the Bay, where fine dining is complemented with a breathtaking view. McKenna's is a restaurant of incredible ambiance, providing service and cuisine with style, class, and romance. The menu offers a variety of appetizers, serious seafood, prime steaks, and oyster bar, and specialty entrees for either lunch or dinner. McKenna's on the Bay features patio dining, nightly entertainment, and two banquet facilities. No matter what your occasion, McKenna's on the Bay is like being on vacation. more motivating than a great barbecue meal at Naples Rib Company. Victory or not, Naples
3: Rib Company, great game plan.
0: The it's my party girl. It's like a time warp, and it's amazing. She's performing. She's at the Palm Springs Follies, and uh, a legend at that. At the age of sixteen, she's looking great. Well, you're looking great too, and Thank we wish you, you continued success. I know after this, you're going for an audition, and yes. good luck with that. Thank and you. you never lose your enthusiasm for the work you do, because you obviously love it. I'm very lucky. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, DD Thanks for having me, Art. It's always fun. And thank you guys for watching. Please join us next week for the next edition of Straight Talk. Good night, everyone. Straight Talk has been brought to you by Southern California Edison, the Press-Telegram, and remember, Straight Talk is viewable worldwide 24-7 at straighttalktv.com.